Hello and welcome to the Mythological Africans podcast, where we read and talk about stories from African mythology and folklore. I am your host, Helen Day. Episodes of this podcast come from live recordings of the Mythological African Storytime Sessions, which took place on Friday evenings at 5 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. on the Mythological African's Twitter space. things I try to do with mythological Africans is connect the dots between, you know, storytelling traditions across the world. And as I read a bit of the background to this book um, in the introduction, I noticed a few things that uh, I thought were really interesting. So I thought I would share them. I actually made some screenshots so I could I could get straight to the details. Mm-hmm. So apparent so the book the book we're reading from today it's called over the Lip of the World, Among the Storytellers of Madagascar. And it's by Colleen McElroy, who is uh, an African-American uh, writer, ethnographer. And she went to Madagascar on a Fulbright scholarship to document these stories. And what's, what's cool is that, uh, as, as I talked about in the summary, um, Madagascar is a big, beautiful country. I've been fortunate enough to visit it, and it it blew my mind. And it's one of the Afghan countries that has really deeply been impacted by uh, the the wreckage of colonialism. Just the sheer amount of deforestation I saw when I visited um, was kind of shocking. And of course, the wealth gap and everything. And, you know, that, that that is something that is common to many African countries. But, you know, meeting, meeting the people, you could tell that they took a lot of pride in who they, they are and their culture and their stories. And even the guide who, you know, took us around the city and, you know, showed us around, he, he was very honest about the difficult aspects of the country's history. But you could tell that he loved his country and he was happy to be able to get the chance to share it with other people. And so, um, but... I don't know what your experience of social media is, but I find that in the discourse about African countries, you don't hear as much about Madagascar as you hear about um, other countries. And that's probably because it's kind of an island off in the corner by itself. But there is a fascinating history um, about how the island was populated and who who showed up and how things evolved over time. I did a quick informational thread before we started this session where we, um, I, I put some information about, you know, things you can read um, about, the, about the, the country and the people. I'm going to share some links in here. Um, there are blog posts, podcasts, lots of good information about the history of the country. So definitely check that out if you get the chance. But um, apparently, the Malagasy people have a saying that a folktale is like the chameleon. It unfolds with one eye on the past and the other eye on the future. Of course, referring to the chameleon's capacity to you know, look in different directions with its eyes. And that's just such a, a beautiful way of putting it because, as I'm sure you know, you know folktales are not just stories, right? They, they encapsulate so much more than uh, uh, entertaining piece of, 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 of storytelling they 
capture people's values, people's history, um, philosophies, and so much more. So positioning these stories as something that, you know, looks at the past and looks at the picture is honestly the very essence of what a folktale is. And it's just, it's great that they have this um, captured in a saying, which now makes me curious if there are any similar sayings where you are from that, you know, express the value that folktales bring to the community. Are you familiar with any? Um, well, I'm not that sure, actually, but I'm sure have to have something like the local culture, but I'm not that sure. I'm not that familiar with the, um, like, of course, the superficial issues about the mythology of folk, as, of folk stories and all that, but not the, like, the analysis, the deep analysis. I just like hear the stories, but I have never like thought about what they mean actually. Right. But that's 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 okay too because a lot of the times, speaking for myself, before I started creating this page, I didn't dig any deeper either. Right? It was just the stories, and you enjoyed them, and that was fun too. Um, so they have this philosophy about folk tales, but like in different parts of the world, they have different kinds of stories, right? Their folklore has different kinds of stories. So they have Angano, which are regular folk tales. And Angano are of two types, apparently. There are the tapasiri, which are stories about people and social ethics and, you know, the relationships between people. And then there are tantara, which are myths, which explain the origins of things, animals, rituals, good and evil. And these uh, tantara will focus on the relationships between people and and magical or divine powers. Um, but there are also arira, which are fables. There are um, hentaini, which are poems, um, songs. They, they they have like branches like hiragasi and kabari, and these are all oratory styles, poetic styles. And I bet if you asked amongst, you know, the different indigenous peoples in Mexico, you'd probably get similar classifications of the folklore. I know that um, in other parts of the African continent and in my country, Cameroon, amongst the different peoples, there are different names that people will give to, you know, a, a story or to a riddle or to a proverb or to even if it's a story, if it's an animal story, you'll have a different kind of name. So it's, it's interesting to see this continuity. Um, but other things that, something else that stood out to me in the introduction to this story, to this collection, is that all the, the creatures, every being in the storytelling traditions of the Malagasy people has something that's called Hasina, and that's sacred power. And so each creature in every story is infused with sacred power and has, you know, a, a sort of a cosmic role to play in the story. So they're just, they're not just, you know, regular beings um, running around doing things. Um, but that, that, that also really stood out to me because that's a very, a very core aspect of many traditional African worldviews that, you know, we are not just people and things are not just things. A tree is not just a tree. It's infused with its own with its own power, with its own divine nature. And, you know, something I always think about is if we if we maybe, you know, held on to these beliefs a bit more, we might treat you know, the earth that we live on a bit differently. But, you know. Is it something like uh, they have their own personality or they are representing like the trickster or the 
moral person and the mother or something like that? Or is just special powers like literal, you can grow stuff like uh, plants or you can produce right. uh, fire or something like that? Right. Uh, I think I understand this to be, to be in the sense that they have their own divine spiritual nature and for some creatures, right, it will manifest as the ability to, to do magical things, to do great feats, especially if we're looking at them in the context of a story. And for others, it will not. Um, I was reading here that some, some one classification of stories is stories where the, people, the, the characters don't necessarily have magical powers, but they are smart and they're able to navigate themselves into, you know, the, the right position as they go through the world and face their challenges. So they don't necessarily have you know, great magic powers to be able to create and destroy like that, but they have their own innate spiritual power and, and, and importance. I think um, I'm reading this, and this is surface level, right? I've not dug deeply into the beliefs of, of the Malagasy people, the different Malagasy people. I, I think I'm understanding this is just at the level of each being, it's sacred in its own right. You know, no nobody is is useless. Nobody is here without us uh, a right to be here. Every, every being, inanimate or animate, has its own spiritual nature, its own divine nature. And I'm hoping that as we read the stories, we'll get a glimpse of this. I've not read any of the stories. This is one of those books that I've not read the stories in advance. So we are going to be going on this journey together. Right. Does that make sense at all? Yes, it makes sense, actually. Okay, sweet, sweet. So something else before we delve into the stories, because there were quite a few interesting things that popped up in the, in the introduction. So apparently, the number two and three are used a lot in Malagasy storytelling. So you hear of twins, of three wishes, three sons, and things like that. Um, and there is, of course, as we just talked about, the idea that some, some natural objects have magical powers. So hopefully we'll see a little bit of that. Um, what else was interesting? Um, oh yeah, one more thing that really stood out. Apparently, they have a saying in the country, uh, ni mati, si ni velona, which uh, ref translates to the dead and the living. And if you think about it, I don't know how it is in Spanish, but in English, we talk about the living and the dead. How How is that referred to in, in Spanish? Um. Like uh, the world of the living people and the, well, for us it's like um, el, el mundo, y, well, el, el inframundo for us is like hell, heaven, like it's the other world. Once you are dead, you are going okay. that way. <laughs> in, in conversation, for example, right, if people want to refer to the world of the living and the world of the dead, do they say the living and the dead or do they say the dead and the living or is there another way they talk about it? Yeah, it could be like um, el más allá, the other side. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I, I, go ahead, please. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. No, I ask because it's a point that the, the author of the book makes in the introduction that while, you know, in the English language you hear people talk about the living and the dead, in um, Malagasy, the, in the language, you hear about the, the dead and the living. And this is because they really have a lot of respect for the Razana, who are the ancestral spirits. And um, these, these spirits feature a lot in cultural life. I, 
I had a, an experience of that because our guy, you know, would, would, when I when I visited Antananarivo, he he talked. He was Catholic, if I remember correctly. But you know, even when we when we visited uh, the the palace and we were going into the history of the country, you know, he often made reference to the ancestral spirits and you know all the things that happened in the country. Um, but the, the, the ancestors, you know, the, the dead, the, the spirits of the dead play a big role in the lives of the people, um, especially at the level of the indigenous culture. And they have, you know, songs and poems that are um, the sayings of the ancestors, basically, and they call them Fitenin Trazana, the sayings of the ancestors. So um, that's interesting, too, because in other parts, I know... Um, Amongst the, the Banso people, Banso are in Cameroon, where I'm from, and amongst many other um, African peoples, West, Central, and elsewhere, um, one of the things that people will say before quoting a proverb, they would say, ancestors said X, Y, Z. So it's interesting to see this commonality. It always makes me happy because the, I, I love to witness this continuity. But enough about context. Um, these are just a few things I wanted to highlight because I feel like it's, it's good to have a bit of the context out of which the, the stories are coming. And if you or anybody who listens to this later wants to find out more about the country of Madagascar, um, like I said, I shared the link to a series of blog posts and post pod, uh, podcast episodes that um, the History of Africa podcast has made about Madagascar history, culture, ancestral spirits, and more. So definitely, definitely check it out. That being said, let us read a couple of stories. And we'll start with the story of the three brothers. There's that number showing up already, three. Um, and what I look for, and you're probably uh, familiar with this, what I look for as we read these stories is, um, does anything sound familiar? Is anything new or different or strange? And um, what what are you taking from this story, right? Is it teaching you anything? So the story of the three brothers. Once upon a time, there were three brothers who were orphans, and their relatives did not want to look after them. These were orphans whose family despised them. One day, the eldest said to his brother, We are so poor, so let me go and look for what will keep us alive. But what about both of us? Will you leave us lonely? I know, but I have to leave you, the eldest said. And before leaving, I'm going to plant a banana tree in the west part of our village. And when it is dead, I'll be dead. But if it grows up, I'll be alive, and it will bring us luck and fortune. The two brothers said, well, let us prepare some food for you on your long journey. No, let me go now, the brother said. And so they said goodbye, and he left. He went away, away, and away, and when the night fell, he was in the middle of the woods. Terrified, he said to himself, where can I go this night? There is not any shelter here, and the animals are very fierce. Oh my God, please help me. Suddenly he found a small hut, but he wondered if it was not an enemy's shelter, so at last he decided to come near it and knock on the door. An old man answered, Who's that? A visitor coming from a distant region and come to look for work. Come in, come in, my little boy. You can sleep in my hut. But the elders hesitated. No, grandfather, he said, let me stay outside. Do come in because I have something to tell you, the old man insisted, so he went inside. First, let me get something for you to eat, the old man said. And so the old man cooked him some food, and after he was served, he had a good meal. And when he finished, he said to the old man, please, grandfather, let me sleep because I feel so tired and so sleepy. Can I sleep now? 
No, I cannot let you sleep, the old man said. I have something to show you. What is it, grandfather? Do you know, the old man asked. I have a cat who is able to hold a lantern. I cannot believe it. You are lying. A cat can never hold a light. You can't, the old man said. If you don't trust me, what is the bet? If my cat can't hold the light, you will kill me. If it can hold the lantern, I will kill you. So if I'm lying, you'll kill me. But if it's true, I'll kill you. Then he called the cat and said, take this candle. The cat obeyed and held it until dawn, at which time the old man killed the elder's brother. When the young man was dead, he put him into a barrel where there were other corpses. In the meantime, in the village, the banana tree died, and both of the youngest brothers knew that their brother was also dead. So the middle brother decided and said to the youngest, Our brother is dead. I have to leave you and look for his corpse, and for a job somewhere to make life better. But the youngest said, Where shall I go without both of you? Who is going to take care of all our small possessions? If you die somewhere, what will I do? No, be hopeful. I have to leave you, but don't worry. I'll find our elder brother, his brother assured him. And so they planted another banana tree. And when night fell, he was in the same woods. Terrified, he said, where am I now? There is nothing here. Oh, God, help me. And sometime later, he found a small hut and decided to knock on the door. Who is that? The old man asked. A poor orphan with no one to look after him. Scorned by our relatives. I've come to earn my living. My house is far from here and I can't go back. Come in, little boy, and let me get something for you to eat. You must be very hungry. No, grandfather, I prefer sleeping because I am tired. No, you have to take some dinner, the old man insisted. So he cooked sweet potatoes for him. The young boy ate his food and asked the old man for a place to sleep near the oven because he was very cold. No, I can't let you sleep because I have something to show you. What's that, grandfather? Do you know I have a cat who is able to hold a candle? You tell me a lie, grandfather, the young boy said. It is impossible. If you don't believe me, what's the bet? If I lie, kill me. But if it is true, I'll kill you. Oh no, how can I kill you? You're a respectful parent. It's impossible for me. It doesn't matter, the old man said. The cat always does this by habit until dawn. And so he called the cat again and made it hold the candle. And it lasted until dawn. And then he killed the young man. And when he died, the second banana tree also died. When the youngest brother saw that his brothers were dead, he was so sad, but he decided to go look for them. How can I live like this? I am alone, no father, no mother, no brother, I am nothing. He left the village and went away. At last, when night fell, he too reached the middle of the woods and found the strange hut. He knocked on the door and the old man asked, who's that? A visitor from the other side of the village who comes to look for work. My elder and younger brothers left to look for work and I don't know where they are now. That's why I am here, to look for them. Come in, come in, little boy. And so the youngest brother entered and the old man told him to have a seat because he was going to prepare a meal for him. When leaving, the younger brother said, the youngest brother said in a low voice, it will be a good meal again. When leaving, the younger brother, he said to the cat in a low voice, it will be a good meal again. But the boy heard what the old man said and realized that it was the old man who had killed his brothers. When the old man came back, the youngest brother ate and finally asked the old man if he could sleep. I can't let you sleep right now, the old man said. But I'm so tired, grandfather. No, I still have something to show you. What's that, grandfather? It is the cat who can hold a candle. It's a lie. I've never seen a cat holding a candle. What is the bet? If I'm a liar, you'll kill me. But if it's the truth, I'll kill you. 
I agree, but let me first go out for a few moments, the youngest, youngest brother said, because I have something wrong with my stomach. Go outside, the young man said. When he was out, the young man looked for small mice and found them. He hid them in his pocket and came in again. When the old man saw him, he called the cat and said, My cat, my dear cat, take this candle. The cat took the candle and held it. However, after a few hours, the youngest brother got one of the mice out. When, he saw, when the cat saw the mouse, it dropped the candle and fell upon the mouse. Then the boy said to the old man, You see, you are a liar. The old man was furious. You nasty cat, take this candle, he said. And the cat came and held it again. But after a few moments, the boy got his mouse out and again, the cat ran after it, but it was already done. The old man failed and should have been killed by the boy. But as he was terribly afraid, he said to the boy, I beg your forgiveness. Don't kill me. I've already killed many people. So you have also killed my brothers, the boy asked. If you don't make them come to life again, I will kill you. And so the old man went out and took a strange stick of wood. He beat the water in the barrel, and everyone in the barrel came to life again, and the two brothers were amongst them. And afterwards, when the youngest was ready to kill the old man, one of the brothers said, Don't kill him, because he will be cursed all his life by what he has done. The End Any thoughts on this story? Oh, yes. I found like uh, I have heard like similar stories is like the old person like can be a witch or something like that that is trying to lure people and kill them or them. And then the youngest brother, sister or something. It's always the one that is going to save the day. <laughs> it's right, right. quite usual. It is, it is. And, you know, as I read this story, I was thinking about another story that I've heard before. And this one is from, this one is from uh, a people in the central part of the African continent, so I think it's the DRC, one of the forest people. And in this story, it was um, an old group of three brothers as well. And they went looking for a wife and they ran into an old man and the old man you know, asked them to come into his house and his daughter made food for them and then he used his daughter to trap them um, and kill them. And um, what is interesting is that the, the, this, 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 um, this story, if I remember correctly, and don't quote me on this because my memory is a bit fuzzy, it was a long time ago, um, the, the guide who we spoke to in Madagascar spoke about how many of the people in Madagascar, a, a section of the population, because some, quite a few of Madagascans are not very tall. They're kind of short stature. And if I remember correctly, he talked about the fact that a good portion of the country's population migrated from some uh, central part of the African continent and arrived in on the island of long, 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 long time ago. So as I was reading this story, I thought it was very interesting that there is a version of this story that comes from among the forest people of central, you know, central part of the African continent who are also very short statured. So um, that that was that was that, that struck me as interesting as well. Um, but something else that I thought was interesting was the tree dying, right? And that's a that's a, a theme that comes up quite a bit in many, many, many African stories. The fact that you have a tree. And if uh, the tree is tied to a person's life, 
if the tree leaves, the person lives. If the tree dies, it means that the person is dead. I believe this 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 motif shows up in the story of um, uh, it's from Angola, and it's uh, I'm gonna have to look this up because I I don't want to say that name wrong. Um, Angola, it's uh, from the Kimbundu people. Yeah, Sudikam Bambi. Um, the story of Sudikam Bambi, um, he, he also has an episode where he has a tree that's linked to his life source and the, the tree's life or death would indicate um, whether or not he lived or he died. I think I, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, but it also, I believe, shows up in many, many folk tales from across the continent. Um, the idea that, you know, a person's life force is tied to a tree. And um, that, well, that struck me also as something interesting. And uh, there's one more thing, oh, if you have a comment. Oh, yes, about the trees, because, for example, I can think about trees linking words, like in the Norse mythology that is connecting, like, the upper world and the underworld, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the same in the Mayan mythology and Mexico and Latin and all that kind of stuff. But I haven't heard about a tree linked to someone's life. Right. Not right. like word in the totality, just your life. That's quite interesting. It is, isn't it? And it speaks to this special relationship because I know that amongst uh, the Igbo people in Nigeria, and I imagine many other um, West African people, when a child is born, um, they have a tree planted. And that is their that is their life tree. I think there's a there's a term that is used to uh, uh, refer to that tree. And I'm going to I know I did uh, someone did a very good thread about it in here before. Let me see if I can find it. Um, but the tree is tied to the the child. And hold on. It's in here somewhere. Yeah. So among the Igbo, the umbilical cords of newly born children are buried with a newly planted fruit tree. And this tree becomes a child's tree of life and it connects them to um, Allah, the earth goddess. So I'm going to share that tweet in here. So if you want to look at it some more. Um, but there is also, there it is. Um, I'm also going to share another thread from an Igbo source they are no longer on twitter from what i can tell um but they but they did a really good thread about about this topic so yeah that 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 tree or life connected to the the tree that's that's a very strong theme as well um there was one more thing that i thought was interesting and uh da, da, da. Goodness, I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting. Hold on. Oh yeah, the fact that at the end of the story, you know, they don't necessarily kill this guy, right? Although he's a he's a monster. And this is something that has come up before in in discussions on the timeline about one of the peculiar aspects of African folklore. Um, in many folk tales, right, the evil person gets killed at the end, and it's divine justice, right? It's what should happen. But you'll find in many African stories that people will get resurrected, even the bad guys, right? People will get resurrected, people will be spared, people will get mercy. And um, the way I see it, and this was 
you know how it, it seemed the, the agreement seemed to be is that there is a there is a, a fundamental value that is placed on human life um, that underlies a lot of African worldviews, and this extends into the storytellings, right? And you know, at the end of this story, um, the guy says, you know, he's 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 cursed all he'll be cursed all his life by what he has done, right? A life of preying on other people is certainly not one to to mess around with. That's something I imagine, you know people anywhere in the world would not take, you know, lightly. But uh yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing, this this circumstance where, you know, people in some cases will get killed and it will be divine justice and in some cases they will be shown mercy or brought back to life and you know things will things will carry on. So that that shows up quite a bit in, in different folk tales and I thought it was worth it was worth bringing that up as well. So, but yeah, this. Yes, I was actually expecting for the bad guy to die and they are going to kill revenge. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that he was going to be spared. And even more, I wasn't expecting people resurrecting. But it was quite cool because it was a very hopeful tale. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It was positive that I was expecting. Right. Yeah, I love that. I love that about the tale. I feel like whew, in the world we live in, you know, for as many people who deserve a very hard stance taken against them, there is there is space for, for, for grace and mercy because this world is crazy. This world is crazy. But yeah. All right. So that is the first story on our list. Let's see. And it's a really cool book because there's not just stories in there. There are poems. There are like so just so many good things. Um, we'll definitely revisit this book. And what I what I try to do is have a couple of books in rotation that we'll be going over. We'll be going over and you know getting to know more of the people and their lives as we as we as we explore the stories. So how about we read the story of Babaki, the squash boy? That looks interesting. the squash boy. If I can find the page. And this one seems to be very short too. Babaki the squash boy. Once upon a time, there was a young man whose name was also Young Man. And they called him Zatoro, for he was very rich and handsome. He had four wives, and each of them had a part of his field. He had children from each of his wives, but unfortunately, the fourth delivered instead of a child, a squash. And from that time, her sisters, quote-unquote, laughed at her all of the time, and this child was treated as a little monster. Since all of the four wives had a part of the field, they had to work their part. The the three other wives always thought the fourth woman would never get her part plugged and would never get any crops because she did not have a child to help her as they had. However, her husband realized that she was the only wife who had her part perfectly cultivated and plowed, and so he was amazed. One day, since he had had enough of the other wives ceaselessly teasing and laughing at his wife, he told his mother, Mother, on Friday, I'd like to gather all the village people. His mother told young man to gather the people as he wished, and he did. And the day came, and the whole village was there, including the other wives. 
When the ceremony began, Babaki the squash child showed himself and said to the people that he was not all a squash, but he was a real child like any other child. When they realized that he was truly a child, their joy burst out and praised him. The other wives were so surprised. And since that time, the squash child and his mother were all treated by young men, but the others were punished and left alone by their husband. The end. What a sweet little story. And as, as, I, as I read the story, I just... Sorry, go ahead. It's um, a magical kit, so that's why he was able to like take care of the field and all that, right? Right, right, definitely in the class class of magical children. But what what really struck struck me as I read this one was how great this would be as an illustrated children's story. You know, um, it's short. It's you know, it has a relatively tame ending. You know, um, but. Yeah, I think this would really be good as a, a short illustrated story for a children's book or something. Um, but something also that I, I thought was interesting in this story was the fact that the guy took the, the woman's side. You know, in, in many of these stories, you have either the husband who doesn't care and lets the women, you know, work things out amongst themselves or the husband who, you know, because the woman doesn't have a normal child like the other children will you know, behave funnily towards her. But in this story, it seems like the guy actually took the, the side of the child's mother and, you know, went to some lengths to, to honor her and show that, you know, just because things were different with her doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you know, she deserves to be treated a kind of way. So I thought, I thought that was really sweet. And I also found interesting that he didn't say anything about this strange kid, like trying right. to say, like, why do I have this kid? Uh, are you a witch or something? Or this is not my kid? Or, he didn't question any of that. He was just annoyed that the other, the other wives were teasing the poor wife. Yeah, I, I, think that, I think that's a sweet story. It's a really, really sweet story. And, you know, when I, often when I read these, these, these stories and I think about the context out of which they might have come, and how quite often stories are used to illustrate points, you know, to, to help people in an indirect way come to understand certain things about the, the community in which they live. I imagine, you know, this was probably in some community where, you know, a child was different. And, um, you know, the storyteller was wanting to highlight the fact that just because, just because this child is different doesn't mean, you know, they, they have to be treated differently. You know? So that, that was... That was a nice little sweet story. I'm glad we I'm glad we got to read that one. We have just a little under 20 minutes left, but I think there's enough time for one more story and then we will we will wrap it up for the day. Um, I think we should tell the story of Rafa Ravavi and Randria Noro. And I want to tell the story because we get to get an experience of Madagascan names. Um, lots of R's and A's and F's and O's that I remember, and um, this, will, this will give my tongue some exercise, so um, let's go. The story of Rafa Ravavi and Randrea Noro. Once upon a time, a nobleman had three children. His son called himself Randrea Noro, and his daughters were Ranakandriana, child of a noble, and Rataluola, the youngest. 
Their parents were looking for a wife for their son, but they refused any woman they suggested, and soon they had enough of his refusals and told him to go look for himself a future wife. One day, while he was arranging something in his room, someone knocked at the door and told Randrianor that there were three beautiful girls he had never seen playing in the sand at the edge of the lake. He was amazed by their beauty and told the man he wanted to take one of them as a wife. The man advised him to take care by saying, Since they look like mermaids, it will be difficult for you to capture them if you don't see a diviner. Who is this diviner I have to see? Randrianor asked him. Ranakambo is the best one, the old man said to him. And so the boy went to see Ranakambo, the diviner, who ordered him to plant three beautiful orange trees in the sand to capture, he said, the first one who comes to gather some fruit there. However, the three sisters were very careful and did not touch any of the trees. Don't touch these trees, they warned each other. They are just traps. So Ranakambo and the diviner failed. But Ranakambo came again to consult the designer, and this time he was told, Build a blue lake in the middle of the river and capture the one who comes playing there. But the elder sister was clever enough and ordered her two sisters to be careful. Do not play in this lake. It is nothing but a trap. And so they didn't play around the river. Realizing his failure again, Ranriarano came back to the diviner who advised him to become an ant so he would not be recognized by the three girls. He became an ant and stuck himself to the younger sister, then quickly chained himself to a man again, telling her his wish to have her as his wife. I am not the wife who deserves you, she answered, since we don't share the same way of living. I don't live on earth. I live in the heavens where my father also lives. When he knows you will want me to be your wife, and when his wife opens to tell you something, the thunder will burst and you will be terrified. Also, I don't drink alcohol. If you drink it, I will die. That's why we can't become husband and wife. I love you too much, Rendranaro replied, so I will be careful about your taboos. And he took the girl to his family's house. His parents were so happy, welcoming Rafaravavi, the youngest sister of the heavens, that they let their son and his wife live together in one room on the floor with Ranakandriana, their daughter. But one day, Rafaravavi said to her husband, I want to play with a horse. I'll do everything you want me to do if I can prove my love, even if I must go very far away from the village. And so his others, his servants, to go with him, and they left to find a horse. However, when his parents heard that, they became jealous and thought, this woman will cause her son's death by pushing, pushing him to go far away for our wishes. So they decided to kill Rafaravavi by giving her some alcohol to drink. They went to visit her and stealthily brought a small bottle. By this time, Ranakandriana, their daughter, knew her parents would kill her sister-in-law, so she informed Rafaravavi and ordered her not to open the door, but to reinforce the lock when they came. When they came, they knocked at the gate and Rafaravavi said, I know you're coming to kill me by giving me alcohol. No, we are not here to kill you. We would just like to visit with you, the parents said. You are lying, Rafaravavi said, and reinforced the locks of the seven walls separating them. But the parents destroyed all the locks and entered the room. They forced Rafaravavi to taste the drink and poured some on her lips, so she died. After she died, the villagers buried her in the path where her husband usually walked. Meanwhile, in the woods, her husband, Randrianaro, had a nightmare. And so he said to his servant, let us go back home. I had a dream and I know there's something wrong at home. When they returned, the people told him that his wife had been killed by his parents and she was already buried in the usual way. He was so sad. He wept and wept and went to his wife's grave. But when he destroyed the grave and opened it to see her, he was very surprised and amazed to see his wife wake up and come to life again. 
and he was so happy he could do nothing but weep some more. After they had been reunited for some days, Rafaravi told her husband, I'd like to come to my father's house because I miss my parents. Let me come with you, Randrianaro said sadly. I love you very much and I will miss you. I won't be able to do anything. No, you would not be able to stand my father's conditions, Rafaravi said to him. I will do anything he wants, don't worry. And since Rafaravi could not convince her husband to stay, she finally let him follow her to heaven. However, before leaving the earth, she advised him not to sit in the north corner of the room, but in the south corner. And Randrianaro was told to gather every bird and animal that ever existed and trust them to help him if he ever needed them. The birds and animals agreed to help him when they were gathered. Finally, Randrianaro fooled everything his wife had ordered, and they left to her father's house. When they arrived in heaven, Rafafavi's father said, So you want to marry my daughter? And as he spoke, the thunder burst. Yes, sir, I would have her for my wife, Randrianaro told him. Well, you will now have to plow my large rice field first, then you have to fill the huge tree in the middle of the playground, tell it you have to know amongst 1,000 cows which one is the mother. And finally, my three daughters and their mother have the same face. You must tell me who is the mother. Renanaro agreed to do whatever he was asked. And when he had finished plowing the rice and felling the tree, he called the cows and the birds. The flies promised to him that the one which had a fly on top of her nose would be the mother. And the first who had the fly on her head would be the three daughters' mother. So Renanaro finished all his chores and his father-in-law was amazed. He was also happy to see. He was so happy to see that he blessed the young people and said that they would become husband and wife in his eyes forever and be happy forever. So when Renrianoro and Rafarafavi came back to earth again, he cursed his parents and said he didn't want to live with them anymore and wouldn't give them anything. And so the parents were very poor and left alone. The end. So lots of interesting little bits in this story. Any any thoughts on it? Again, the guy is defending the wife. That's nice. Right, right, right. You know, I kept I kept thinking that he would do something terrible and someone would die, and you know, but even though she died, she came back to life. And this this is a common theme that will show up in stories, you know, all all over the world. Even right, the story of the 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 man marrying a supernatural woman, and you know her having conditions about what he could do and what he couldn't do. And there is another story, I think, um, from, and I forget who the people are now, but it's similar. You know, the, the, the girls came down from heaven. Um, let me see if I can find that story. The girls came down from heaven and the man succeeded in, the man succeeded in getting one of them to stay with him. But uh, she, she told him to never look into a calabash that she had and he decided to look and she was so angry she had to go back to heaven and you know what's what's good about that story as as is about this one is that nobody really dies in the end um he just carried on with his life you know he learned his lesson you know and at the end of the story um it's a beautifully illustrated book and at the end of the story it's a picture of him with his with his children apparently telling them the story so another instance of that theme where you know nobody dies nobody is hurt you know people just learn their lessons and carry on with life but something i noticed um in this story and in the story of the squash child 
is that quite often the the it seems that the the the, the punishment right the courts of justice is that they they are they are left alone you know they are no longer part of part of the family they are no longer part of the, the so the other the three otherwise you know were left alone these parents were left alone and that speaks also to something that is very um essential to not just traditional african cultures but indigenous cultures all over the world right the idea that you really find your footing as a person you know yourself as a person in the context of whichever community you belong to such that if you're no longer part of that community that can be you know a heavy punishment in its own right so it's this this is my first exposure to folklore from madagascar um, outside of you know the stories that the guy told and most of them were stories of the country's history and the queens and things like that so it's it's really cool honestly to see these these similarities and the, the continuity in in the stories but any was anything else interesting um, the the chores the chores that the the man had to complete um, also will feature in, in many stories, right? Working the fields, cutting the tree. It reminds me to some extent of the chores that Mwindo, in the Mwindo epic from the Banyanga in the Democratic Republic of Congo, had to complete. Um, but in the end, he doesn't marry the girl. He actually leaves the girl in the underworld and, and returns returns to Earth, returns to the world of the living, which I thought was kind of crazy. I actually wrote, I did a retelling of that my book so because that 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 just struck me as odd and weird anyway any any other thoughts on this story yeah i found interesting that usually in these kind of stories uh when you have like a celestial wife um usually if you break the taboo or you do something uh you are going to lose your wife they usually break the taboo and they usually lose the wife. But in this case, it was his parents, the one that tried to like do something against the wife, um, tried to kill her. But this guy. Right, right. That was something also that really struck me as interesting. The fact that he, he and the woman were okay, you know, um, he, he was doing his best to, to not, you know, break the taboos. And usually in the other stories, the guy is not, not you know, hesitating to break the taboos, but instead it's his, his parents who are trying to separate them, um, probably because, you know, they, they didn't want this woman, you know, taking up their son's attention and resources. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, really, that's really something something noteworthy, the fact that in this case it's the, it's the parents. But of course, in many stories you hear the, 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 the jealous mother-in-law, right? That's a pretty standard you know, trope that will show up in many stories. But in this case, it was, it was both his parents and they actually succeed, at least um, initially. But then you know, she's resurrected and they go to heaven and you know, he's able to withstand her father's trials because that's another thing that scared me. I thought maybe he would not be able to hold up under the pressure, but he did. And they got to have the happily ever after. So neat, neat, neat story. Um, I'm really excited about this book. I think we are definitely going to return, return to it to read more of the stories. And what's great about the book is that there, in between, there are little snippets of um, context conversations with the people who she connected the stories from. And what I absolutely love even more about the book is that the, the, the author names, so for each story, 
she names whoever was in the story and she um, uh, states the location from where the story comes. So I thought, I thought that was really, really brilliant. It definitely gives you a lot to work with um, as you go through the story. So, but that's all we have for today. So I really want to thank you all for making time to join. Um, I know that we're all still struggling with this change in time. And honestly, I think as soon as I can, I might just move it back to 6 p.m. because this is just, this is just really difficult. But, you know, it's recorded. And so people can listen at any time. And that, that makes me happy at least. Uh, next week... We are going to be reading, let me see, next week we are going to Kenya and Tanzania. We're going to be reading Maasai folktales, so hope to see you then. Um, we have read some Maasai folktales before, um, and I think, uh, was it this week? We might, I think we featured a Maasai folktale in one of our, in one of our, our um, weekly theme tweet so maybe it was last week but I, I know the book we'll be reading from and it's it's a really good book um, but there's also another uh, book that brings together Maasai culture and folktales so hopefully we'll have a good time but either way I hope you have a great great rest of your week and weekend right it, it is Friday um, please be safe there is a lot going on in the world right now and just take care of yourself take care of your people and um, we'll see you on the Twitter streets as we see. All right? Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you.